millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You know I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Chandar Patabiram, Chief Marketing Officer at Coupa Software. On the show today, we talk quite a bit about the shift, if you will, and the pivots that Shandar is making in his marketing across strategy, programs, and this notion of four Ps that he defines around positioning, posture, programs, and people. We dive a little deeper into each of those components and what what he's exactly talking about. And then we also kind of transition and talk about what is CMO and the C-suite leadership really about and how should you know, us as chief marketing officers or aspiring chief marketing officers, how should we be thinking about the role? And what does it mean to be in the C-suite today? And then we end with some fun around Netflix shows and the like. And uh, I know you'll enjoy the banter that we had. Maybe a new podcast coming out around Netflix shows. Never know. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Shandar. Well, Chandar, welcome to the show. Great. Thank you, Alan. It's wonderful to be here. 
Thank you for the opportunity today. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting to know each other a little bit better. The one thing I was looking at it was your background, um, having been in consulting and technology and uh, Marketo before uh, your current company. So what what was your path to becoming CMO at uh, Coupa? Yeah, it's a long story. It starts early in life. I think careers are at the intersection of passion and DNA. And it's got to be. For example, I have a lot of passion for being a musician or being a singer, but as my wife reminds me, DNA is not that good at it. So I realized that it's got to be at the intersection. And early on in life, you know, even going through my school and college years, I really love storytelling uh, and the aspect of, you know, messaging and positioning. And even though I had an undergrad in engineering, I kind of pivoted to go to a business degree. And ever since then, you know, I took the management consulting path uh, out of college, but I realized my calling in life, going back to passion and DNA was marketing and high-tech marketing. So I kind of shifted from management consulting uh, to marketing about 20 years ago, and that's been kind of my story. And I've gone through different aspects of marketing. Marketing in you know, what I call small small boats, like startups, which was cast iron, which eventually became a leader in, 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 in integration appliances that sold to IBM. I've been marketing in oil tankers like IBM, large companies. And then over the last seven years, I've been marketing in speed boats, you know, companies that are public but growing really fast. And that was my Marketo experience. And then, then after the acquisition, a year after that, I left Marketo. And then I'm now with uh, Cooper Software, another speed boat, which has grown significantly in the last uh, three years I've been here and very excited to be here for the last three years. Yeah. Well, tell me a little bit more about, uh, and listeners for that matter, about what Coupa is at Coupa Software. I wasn't as familiar with it until we had our initial conversation. And then I realized that my company, I get emails from them to approve different things. So <laughs> I didn't realize I was using it already. There you go. That's great. And, and what simple way to look at it is, I think every one of our listeners will know about salesforce.com. And the parallelism here is what salesforce.com is to sales is what Coupa is to spend. Look at both sides of the house. There's the sales side of the house and the spend side of the house. Just like every company makes money, every company spends money. And just like salesforce.com over the years has given us a great platform to manage CRM on one side of the house, Coupa gives us a platform to manage BSM, business spend management, on the other side of the house. And what it is is a comprehensive platform for managing all aspects of spend, whether it's your procurement, invoicing, your expense management, your sourcing, your contingent workforce, or uh, treasury management, etc. It's a one-stop shop, a comprehensive platform for all aspects of spend. And we have managed it for more, we manage more than $1.7 trillion of spend today across companies, you know, whether it's Airbus or Nike or Procter & Gamble or Unilever or even Salesforce, or even folks like American Cancer Society, Golden State Warriors and, you know, Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. So broad spectrum of customers across B2B and B2C that we manage all aspects of their business spending. Got it. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. I probably only see the very veneer of it, but it sounds complicated as well. <laughs> Just I can only imagine so many business rules. And the thing I, I probably work with the most is the workflow and that it's a breeze to do the uh, the approval process through the software. Yeah, it's. I mean, I would use the word sophisticated, not complicated, because the problem is complicated, but we're simplifying the problem and really providing visibility and control of all your spend. So rather than having rogue spend, post-approved spend that a lot of companies deal with, how do you shift post-approved spend when it's too late? You can't put the toothpaste back in the tube there and move all of that stuff into pre-approved spend where you have finance and procurement organizations having control and visibility of all spend. So that's why all these organizations benefit where they can have a direct impact at the bottom line. 
by controlling the money that goes out as much as they can control the money that comes in on the revenue side of the house. Uh, awesome. Awesome. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. A lot of sense. Let's talk about marketing. How are you adapting your marketing today versus, say, three to four months ago? Well, that's the, uh, you know, that's the challenge for all marketers, right? In fact, I was just joking to someone that we've learned more French over the last few months with the word force majeure in all these marketing contracts than we've ever used probably in our lives. But I think for us talking seriously is that it's been, I would put it in one hyphenated word, thoughtful hustle. And, you know, we at Cooper here, I say that we got to be at the intersection of thoughtfulness and hustle, where sometimes you're too thoughtful and it takes a long time for you to react. And sometimes you react really fast without really thinking through, you know, what's the right thing to do. But if you can operate in that mix of thoughtfulness and hustle, then you can respond to these situations that are in front of us, just like the pandemic came out of nowhere, the Black Swan event. And so for us, what it means is that we have shifted. First of all, we had our whole messaging strategy, very exciting campaign around unleashing the strategic value of spend and, you know, talking about spend excellence uh, in Jan and Feb. But then once it came to March and the pandemic hit, it would have been tone deaf to speak about excellence when a lot of companies are going through struggles. So we had to pivot from that concept of excellence to this new theme of resilience and, and really address our marketing shift across four areas. And I call it the four Ps, across our positioning, across our posture as a brand and sales posture, across our programs, and finally across our people. And so those are the four areas of pivoting that we have done over the last three to four months out. Got it. Got it. So I love the 4P analogy. Um, it, it, that's the uh, harkens back to the original 4Ps of marketing <laughs> and positioning and, and posture and programs and people. I'm, in particular, I want to double click a little bit on advocacy or posture and the human connection or the people part of your 4Ps. And like, how are you thinking about posture? Like, what, what does that mean to you, I guess? Yeah, that's a good question. It's a good question. So posture has two components to it. I would talk about it as brand posture. And I'll also talk about sales posture, right? From a brand perspective in today's world, a brand is what a brand does. And what can be tone deaf for a brand today from a posture perspective is to go and ask your customer base for great advocacy stories and say, tell me the savings that you have generated today. If you go to our companies that are struggling in the transportation industry um, or in other industries, it's tone deaf to go and say, okay, I want to have a case study that's been developed on how you're using our product and how you're being successful. And that's not being authentic and that's not being human. So really the brand posture for us is in this time of post-pandemic is can we do an advocacy flip? Rather than us traditionally asking our customers to advocate for our brand, can we flip it and have the brand advocate for the customers and talk about and showcase the stories of resilience that is happening in our customer community. And so my Uber theme here is in today's world, the brand posture, you can only build brand today by building your community, or you can only showcase your brand by showcasing your community. And so that's really what we have done is we have stopped going and asking any of our customers for case studies explicitly, but instead we go to our community and we launched this new series called The Road to Resilience which had nothing to do with our product, nothing to do with Coupa, but we, you know, we sell to business spend management professionals, procurement, et cetera. And we want to go to the brands and just have the chief procurement officers or financial executives speak to the community on 
their challenges on COVID and what, how have they pivoted and what lessons can they teach the rest of the community in the spirit of hashtag inspiring us, right? So that pivot and that posture change has really helped us because then people lean in automatically, even in today's world, to share stories of themselves that they can inspire the community rather than going and talking about products and, and services, et cetera, right? So that's what I would say was the big shift from a brand posture perspective. Again, you can only build brand today by building your community and showcasing your community. Got it. Tell me a little bit. I mean, there's people obviously in that equation that you just you just outlined in the program from a customer pr- standpoint. Tell me about the people component of your four P's and how do you think about that as well? Yeah, it's it's a good question. I think there's you know we talked about the, the humanizing the brand from a customer perspective. So let's talk about humanizing the brand from an internal perspective. And, and you know all great brands are built inside out, right? Happy employees make happy customers, and that's challenging in today's world post pandemic where you know we're all working so hard. And and how do you keep your teams engaged? Now, a lot of people have shared some great insights in terms of keeping te- teams engaged through, you know, the Zoom happy hour, Zoom, Zoom engagement, et cetera. But I'll share you a couple of things that, that we have done in the spirit of, you know, intellectual learning. How do you grow your career while you're growing in your job? Just to make sure that people have that balance. And today, there's no better time to spend, invest in learning uh, for people right, in your teams, for example, right? So, you know, the two, three hours of commute that you've gained, you can potentially use that to learn on the job. So learn on the domain and learn on topics associated with your domain, whether it's general management topics or even within the domain of marketing. So what I have done and my leadership team is instill a process where we have some results We're saying for the next few months, we should have 40 hours of learning, whether you go to Coursera or whether you go to some of your external, you know, marketing blogs or something or take some classes or even cross-functional between event marketers who used to be physical event marketers, can they use this opportunity to go learn about digital marketing skills? So that kind of focus on learning has been very important for us. And I think from a team perspective, has been very beneficial. So we've been doing, for example, next week, we're doing Decker communication training for my entire marketing team. So I think this can be a unique opportunity for marketing leaders to focus on the concept of intellectual humility and learning across the organization, starting with the CMO and everybody else he or she supports. Yeah, you're so right. I mean, how do you best use that time that you've now saved in the commute process and make it both professional and personal development? That's that's awesome. I mean, you're managing through a lot of change. You just described, I mean, one pivot in terms of your programs and your strategies, you're flipping the advocacy model around during this time, which makes it's super appropriate given the context of what's going on and, and, you know, the doubling down on education and the people, the humanizing part, how is it going? I mean, that's, that's a lot of change, a lot to do. Yeah. It's, it's, like I said, it's, it's not easy, but you know, you got to simplify it. You have to take the Forrest Gump approach and all these things rather than trying to overcomplicate it, not the Forrester research approach, all the, the sophisticated version of it. But I think if you have to break it down into a set of simple things for each of the teams in terms of objectives, and I think the key word I would say is harmonizing across your teams, right? So I didn't talk about the, the first P, which is positioning. And the job that a, that a CMO can do along with the leadership is to really harmonize your story across the layers of what you're saying at a brand level, what you're saying at a sales and growth marketing demand gen level, and what you're saying at a customer story level, and making sure that there's simplicity across the situation. You're picking one theme and you are harmonizing that across these three layers. Because a lot of times the challenges that happens is that your brand is saying something 
your sales guys are saying something else, your demand gen campaigns are saying something, and then your customer stories are reflecting another message. But to avoid that complexity, especially in today's times, that's why you pick one theme and harmonize it. That's, that's been kind of one of my answers to simplifying the problem. Well, I want to transition a little bit because um, you're in the C-suite. A lot of C-suite folks, CMOs are listening to, to this program. What are your thoughts on how to be an effective C-suite leader? Not to mention a CMO, which is what most most of the folks are that are listening. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, how much time do you have, Alan? How long do we go? <laughs> All the time in the world. No, no, I'll just make it. Yeah. I think, I think, you know, you have to break down, for example, let's just take CMO as one microcosmic example of a sweet, sweet leader, right? You have to break down the three functions of the C, the M, and the O separately. And I feel that you have to evaluate and, and try to improve yourself to be effective in all the areas of C, M, and O. And if you start with M, which is the easier part of these things, like marketing, you have gotten to this position because you've been really good at your domain of marketing. And you need to continue to say that, am I making a stepwise change in terms of what the team needs, in terms of strategic positioning to the market? And I've always said to be an effective C-level marketer, you have to be shift your focus from a chief marketing officer to a chief market officer, someone who brings a strategic perspective in terms of where the market is moving. And that's when you get that seat at the table at the board level. So you're able to provide that perspective as much as you're able to provide perspectives on how growth is happening or how the brand is doing. And so that's why, to me, one aspect of being successful as a C-suite marketer is to be a full funnel marketer, really understanding, owning the impact on the bottom of the funnel in terms of win rates and in terms of strategic positioning, as much as you're doing at a brand level, as much as doing the demand gen and the growth marketing at these levels, different levels. So that's on the M side, you know, bring and grow yourself into the strategic impact in the organization. On the O side, I talked about the example of harmonizing. I think the job is to be an orchestrator. Really, how do you orchestrate different teams? Because you're not paid to become be the best musician. You're paid to produce the best music. So that sense, how can you orchestrate your different teams to come together so that they're all effectively you know, producing harmonious music across these three layers of brand, your sales and your growth marketing and your customer marketing areas. So that would be on the O. And then, you know, being a chief is always a learning process for all of us. How do you become, you know, leaders? How do we show the empathy and the authenticity? And how, and, and how do we have a true servant leadership mentality where your main job is make others successful and not yourself? And, you know, somebody said that leadership starts when you go from getting awards to giving awards and keeping that mindset is is important and coop actually there's one good thing that we have done is we actually have an inverted org chart literally that the ceo sits in the bottom of the org chart if you go to our org charts and our internet and stuff and the belief there in, in in the mindset is that you support your employees you don't manage them so that level of mentality of having radical candor to have these discussions but at the same time in the spirit of making them better is, is the c part of the job so that's the way i've always looked at every year Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. How am I doing? Did I grow in the C part? Did I grow in the M part? And did I grow in the O part? And that could be a good way for any C-level officer to look at the three areas in a distinct way. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. And I, I love how you broke it down. I also, exceptionally, as a marketer myself, like the the slight nuance of moving from marketing to the market and the aperture change that that does on the work that you're doing and the strategy that and the impact, frankly, that you can deliver to the organization. So Right, right. And just one point on that, Alan, if I can, that's why, you know, I don't like CMOs are really, really who have that kind of strategic impact. You need to have strategic marketing as part of the one leg to the stool in your organization, because in some places, you know, strategic marketing or product marketing or pricing, for example, is part of marketing for us. We'd sit in another organization like products or sales or something. But, you know, what for I, I believe is for you to create that orchestration engine and to be viewed as a market officer, you need to have that strategic marketing as one leg to the stool in your core responsibility as much as you have your growth marketing and your brand marketing, as which is many cases uh, normal today. Right. So maybe for just for context, like you, you just named off, you said you've got pricing, uh, product marketing. What, what are the other key functions, if you will, just for context for folks as they're thinking about maybe how they can make that shift as well? Yeah, it's a good question. I think, you know, first of all, you know, we call ourselves revenue marketing team because, you know, first of all, why do any marketing if it's not for revenue? So it's a mindset thing as much as, you know, responsibility thing. So if you look at that and you break it down into, you know, three pillars, the first pillar is is what I call strategic marketing, which includes both segment and product marketing. And there's a, there's a nuance there. If you have one product and one sales segment, you can have these product marketers market these products to these segments. But if you have multiple segments like enterprise, mid-market, EMEA, uh, corporate sales, different kind of sales segments and different kind of products, you need to bring those nuances into an organization that's split into what we call product marketers and segment marketers who drive the segment marketers drive go-to-market a place for each of those segments. So that's one pillar, Alan. The second is your growth marketing pillar, which is all about all your digital campaigns and you know some of the you know physical campaigns that you would do off, offline campaigns you would do to drive the double funnel strategy. For example, we have a double funnel strategy of both you know driving lead-based and account-based marketing in our company. And then the third pillar is the corporate marketing pillar which is, again, the traditional ones of you have customer market, you have the corporate communications, customer marketing, event, corporate event marketing, and aspects of brand and brand content into that pillars. So that's what I would say would be the three big pillars under the purview of the CMO. And pricing specifically is in that strategic marketing bucket that I talked about the first pillar. No, that's super helpful. I mean, I know a lot of a lot of CMOs I talk to, they they have questions and want to compare notes on how people are structured and kind of how they think about the the Lego blocks, if you will, the building blocks of uh, of creating an organization. So thanks for sharing that. I appreciate it. That's great. It's great. And you know, we are myself. I'm learning on that process. So this is not. So it's, it's it's a continuous improvement exercise. So it's continuously recalibrating is the answer to this, as you know very well. Oh yeah, absolutely. As you think about being a, a CMO, being a C-suite leader, driving growth, if you will, what are the metrics that you think CMOs should be monitoring or, or focusing on? Yeah, it's a good question. It's evolved, right? I think the the traditional way of measuring marketing success, now, now there's like stuff that happened way before, which is on you know brand and stuff, which is always difficult to measure. But over the last few years, you know, marketing has gone from a soft science to a more programmatic science. And you've seen marketers being measured in terms of 
Kerot's company was built on that, being measured on their impact on, for example, pipeline, for example, right? Not just leads, but how do you create sales pipeline? So that would be one aspect of it. And then for you to do be a, a life cycle marketer that's marketing across awareness, acquisition, and advocacy, there's a few more metrics that I use to evaluate effectiveness um, on the empirical level. So one is sales accepted pipeline. It's nothing to do with leads or any of the engine room metrics within marketing, but sales accepted pipeline. The second is the win rates. Your effectiveness, for example, in your pricing or the bottom of the funnel positioning is how much is sales winning bigger and faster than before or, or winning more. In this case, the win rate is winning more than before. So because, you know, in all fairness, no salesperson is going to come and say I won because the pricing was great or that messaging was great. But you have to still evaluate the effectiveness of that team. So the way we do it is to measure, are you seeing more pipeline? Are you winning more in your win rate? Are you winning bigger? which is your your SP impact, right? And then from the life cycle side, the other aspects we look at is also advocacy and tangibly look at how many new passionate advocates that you're creating that are letting you showcase the value of the brand and showcasing their success as much as yours. Now, if you want to be, you know, I've always kind of strived to be this. If you want to be like one of those, you know, they have these different levels of marketing sophistication, this organization that's truly sophisticated, then your CMOs can measure themselves on lifetime value, right? On how much like, it's kind of the Mufasa metric in SaaS, right? Uh, the Lion King of all metrics is like, are you really driving lifetime value? And uh, that would be kind of the ultimate success. If people are staying longer and shouting from the rooftop, that means your marketing is working. That's awesome. Well, um, one of the things we love to do on the show is get to know the person behind the microphone as well as what you're doing from a day-to-day job and in your marketing role. And um, one of the my most favorite questions, frankly, to ask is, has there been an experience of your past that defines or makes up who you are today? Wow, you're going meta on me, Alan. So deep, yeah. deep question. <laughs> well, I got uh, interesting. I'll tell you this. Early in my, I grew up in India, and my dad died early, died early in my life when I was 15. And you know, one of my mentors early in my life was my sister's husband, who was a lot older than me, 16, 20 years older than me. And so I remember going for a run with him sometime in the in the 80s. So you can backward calculate my age. I was a teenager then. And one thing he said, which has stuck with me always, is like. You know, for in during that run, he had mentioned, "Hey, perception is reality." And sometimes, you know, a saying and passing can become a lifetime of advice. And that has actually stayed with me for a long time. Perception is reality, and that's actually shaped a lot of the marketing. That marketing is about that perception and that optics. And I've always believed that statement has stayed with me. That to be an effective marketer, you have to make your brand look ten times bigger than what it is. So I think that was etched into me early, and I think that statement has helped me as I've grown as a marketer. I think that's excellent advice. I mean, especially for folks that are just starting out as well. That you can be what you want to be. You just have to project and put yourself in those shoes. (laughs) Totally, totally. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So what advice would you give your younger self if you were starting all over? You're that teenager in India again. (laughs) Well, that's a good one. I will tell you, it's interesting. We had this question, by the way, I'm going to borrow this. And I'm actually going to tell you my advice that you asked. But the story that comes to my mind is uh, at Marketo, there's a bunch of executives are sitting around the table and we were asking, I actually probably asked this question around the horn. And one of my colleagues, David Kane, had made, and we all went around and said some profound things. And he just said CTFO. And we all looked at him and said, what does CTFO mean? Which was, what advice would you give your younger self? And he said, chill the F out. So that was his uh, advice to his younger self, which actually was very, very sage piece of advice that we all should give ourselves when we're young. But the one other thing I would personally add to it is, 
looking back, we all we should we all just like we have our professional board of directors, we should all have a personal board of directors in our life that can shape and influence it. And getting that early in our lives, I think, would significantly for at different stages of our life, we need life, we need our personal board of directors who can really shape us, guide us. We can have the authentic conversation where we are, where we need to be, you know, and get three to five people on your personal board of directors early in your life. And and build that as you go forward. It can help you significantly as you grow. Yeah, no, that's that's excellent advice. The next question is a little silly, frankly, but I've really enjoyed the answers from time to time. So, has there been an impactful purchase of a hundred dollars or less that you've made, say, in the last in the last year? Wow, upgraded my Infinity modem to have the highest speed. That has been the most <laughs> impactful. Yeah, yeah. Was that pre-pandemic or uh, post-pandemic? I think it was post-pandemic. But I'll say now that you asked me, you know, it's interesting, right? So we, you know, post-pandemic, I think we all are watching a little bit more TV on not TV shows, you know, Netflix or whatever. And our kids sleep next to our room. And one of the challenges we have is, hey, we can watch some of these shows uh, pretty loud because they're not like PG-13 rated shows. So how do we kind of watch that in the night? My wife and I went without, without the kids hearing it. So I bought this less than $100. This, And we don't have this modern like TVs of, you know, bought this year, which is all double Bluetooth and stuff. So I bought this device. It's called a wireless. It's a Bluetooth booster or something. So basically, you can have your own AirPods, me and my wife. And then it basically takes a TV, sound from the TV and multicasts it to both our AirPods. Right. So so it'll be silent, but we'll all be listening to it on our AirPods. So it'll be multiple people can watch the same TV, respective noise with their AirPods, right? It's not very sophisticated, but it's cool. It works and it's less than 100 bucks. So that's been very effective for us. That's awesome. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Like there's some, you know, the, just adult programs that you want to watch that this one on Netflix, actually. Not uh uh, not the Tiger Show, is it? Tiger King, is it? Uh, well, I, we did go through that one. Uh, that was early in the pandemic, but yeah, that that's definitely not appropriate for kids. And then the, <laughs> but the other one, which I thought on the surface might be, and then I think it was season two took a hard left. Was Grace and Frankie, which is Jane Fonda and uh, Lily Tomlin. It's a fantastic show if you haven't watched it. And I really love the storyline and the acting is unbelievable too. Just, I mean, they're great people in general. Cool. We should do a separate podcast on the best shows out there and, and watch those. What's the, there was another one about, Ar- there's a thing in Arkansas, the, the place where this guy and his wife go, I forgot the name of it. That was pretty cool. Oh, oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Ozarks, I think. Ozarks, that's yeah, the one. Yeah. That's the one. Yeah, I binged, I binged on that a little bit. That's uh, the, the first first season for sure. And that one is also not very kid friendly too. So no, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, but yeah, I, I'll have to check those out for sure. That sounds like a really cool tech. Simple but good. Simple but good. Like all marketing needs to be simple but good. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Two more questions, more on the marketing front, and curious if there's brands, companies, or causes that you're either tracking, taking notice of, or are passionate about at this point. Yeah, good question, Alan. So first of all, from a marketing perspective, our customer is Nike, and I've always looked up to it as a brand in terms of what every marketer, B2B or B2C, can learn. And it goes back to kind of one of the first principles of marketing that marketing is a battle for the mind. And the great brands use emotion as a weapon of mass influence to build that, to win that battle for the mind. And it's interestingly, Nike again, again, proves that it's not about the features. It's about the feeling, hashtag feeling, because I don't, they've never marketed their shoes as much as marketing the feeling 
of people of winning and being associated with that brand and, and, and what the emotion that you get, right? And that's what's inspiring me. And I don't know, you know, probably watch the, even the latest ad that came out a couple of weeks ago. It was really, really cool. And that really accentuates the whole thing around inspire to establish that emotional connection before you start marketing your features. Now, that's more difficult to do as a B2B because, you know, B2B marketer, because you're selling routers and infrastructure and apps rather than selling shoes and cosmetics and, you know, Peloton bikes. But still, it can ask, it can be an aspiring, inspirational thing for every one of us to learn from some of these consumer brands like Nike on how do we up-level our storytelling game, right? So that's one. In terms of cause, I've always believed in the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. And, you know, it's a great line that they have that beating cancer is in our blood. And it's been a cause that, you know, they're a customer of ours. And, and I've been associated with that, too. So I'm proud of that and continue to be associated with that. Yeah, no, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, before I go to the last question, so the, the Nike ad, just while I'm on it, it does, it totally, uh, they, they always do a great job of getting the feeling uh, through their ad. But the, the last one that you're mentioning, that the youth can't stop us with uh, Megan Rapino. It's amazing. And it's such a nice build on, you know, the work they were doing with Colin Kaepernick as well, not that long ago as well. So it's, um, they do always get it right. Yeah, yeah. That's the first question I asked my team is like, who was the agency uh, that was behind it? And so it's really, really creative uh, advertising. So it was really, really cool. Well, a last question for you. More, you can go in either direction and some people combine them, but I'm curious what you think of the might be the largest opportunity or threat facing marketers today. I think marketers have a tremendous post-pandemic power in today's world. Right. So because when people could physically walk into a room and salespeople, they could gauge the room, they could understand the dynamics and do that kind of selling. But we've operated in a different world. We've gone from a digital world, a physical and digital to purely digital world. So the, the power has shifted A to the buyer always in the last few years, but then the power has shifted to marketing. But in a digital world, marketers can influence the journey much bigger than ever before, starting with understanding intent on so many different channels, understanding where the customers are in their journey and providing those memorable interaction points and engagement points. So I think that's the opportunity for marketers to really shine in a digital world like this today and get that seat at the table that they're making the strategic impact. So that's on on one side. And then the other side also is there is no better time today than to go be very thoughtful about your install base and market your install base as much as you've done in growth marketing to your acquisition. And marketers can play a lot bigger part in that an opportunity of really partnering with your customer success and your, and your cross-sell sales teams to be very programmatic and go after plays of your install base to very thoughtfully expand that. So those opportunities in this world are unique. And I think, and I'll speak for B2B, and I, I do think those are great for marketers. And then really an opportunity to make your brand more authentic along the lines of what I talked about. Authenticity is just not me saying I'm authentic, but surely shifting the posture to be really showcasing your community's success. Those are all great opportunities for marketers to make it, make them make be successful in today's world. And the threat I would say is that if you're not measurement-based, what get measured gets done but also what gets measured gets recognized. So you got to be careful that you are continuing to double down on your empirical impact as much as your emotive impact. Make sure you're showcasing the success of your efforts across the board. 
especially to the chief financial officer. And the threat is in today's world where budgets are being cut throughout the company, the CFO shouldn't become the CFO when it comes to marketing impact. So it's really important for you as a CMO to be really aligned with the CFO to say, here's the impact and here's what we're bringing so that it becomes doesn't become a threat of losing your discretionary spend as you look into the future. Shandar, it's been a fascinating conversation. I really enjoyed having you on and, and having a good conversation. Thank you. Great, Alan. Thanks for having me. And uh, let's do a separate podcast on Netflix shows soon. <laughs> I love that. I love that idea. I'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon, Alan. Take care. Bye. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners, and you can contact me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you'll also find complete show notes with links to anything we talk about on any episode. You can also search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.